And please uh, stand with me as we uh, read the scripture this morning that Pastor Wayne will be leading us through. Uh, We come to uh, the end of a two-year wonderful journey through the book of John. And uh, the scripture today is from chapter 21, verses 20 through 25. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers, and this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did, were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we are oh so grateful for for you, for giving us this word, Lord, for uh, giving us this truth. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would speak through Pastor Wayne this morning that you would um, give us uh, ears to hear, eyes to see, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, uh, Lord, that you would um, uh, use uh, these truths in your word to, um, uh, to give us the courage and the um, uh, will to, to share this truth amongst our neighbors and our friends and family and throughout the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we come to the final text in the Gospel of John after nearly two years of study. And for some, that is a great relief. However, there is a degree of sadness for me. I love the Gospels. And I'm really more saddened by finishing John than when we went through Luke back in 04 or went through the Gospel of Matthew in 2016. And I think the reason is, you know, my purpose for going through John was this. If you'll remember back, I told you this two years ago when we started. I had encouraged you to memorize this gospel by chapters. And I I thought that this study might be a benefit to you. If I'm going to ask you to memorize it by chapters, let's just go through the book verse by verse and, and study it. And that's what we have done. But what I didn't really realize is that over these 90 plus messages from the Gospel of John, I have been far more blessed than I realized. I've been blessed just through the preparation of the, of the scriptures, the preparation of the messages. And quite frankly, I'm extremely sad this morning, very sad to see it in. Because it hit me this week that I, I probably will never have the opportunity to preach the Gospel of John again. In this epilogue in chapter 21, Christ comes to the disciples in Galilee just as he had promised. He comes to reinstate Peter, who during the dark hours prior to the crucifixion, you'll remember, under great stress, he denied three times he ever knew Christ, that he had any association with him whatsoever. And this truly devastated Peter. I mean, it devastated him when he heard the rooster crow. And he realized what Christ had told him was going to happen has happened. It devastated him. 
And the reason is, is because Peter was just so confident, so self-confident. He'd never deny the Lord, never. He was willing to die with him, but not deny him. So the Lord uses this experience to teach Peter a valuable lesson, to prepare him for moving forward in ministry. Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed, take heed, lest he fall. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 12. What you're being commissioned to do cannot be accomplished by human will, Peter. Can't be accomplished by just sheer determination. It can only be accomplished in humility. Whereby the Holy Spirit will accomplish you to do what you could not do on your own. So Christ says to Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, well, yes, Lord. I mean, you know all things. You know me better than I know me. I mean, you see the heart. You know I love you. You know I do. Then feed my lambs and tend to my sheep. Which means not only do you, you feed them, but you care for them. You tend to them. You tend to their needs. And then Christ told him in verses 18 and 19, when you were young, Peter, you pretty much did what you wanted. And when you're old, that's not going to be the case. You're going to be bound, carried away, your hands stretched out, and you'll be dressed for crucifixion. And while when we read that, we might think, man, that's kind of bad news. I mean, if somebody told me I was going to be crucified, I would consider that a bad news. But this is not bad news. It's not bad news at all. John was saying to Peter, look, you, your death is going to glorify the Lord, which is the way you want to end your life, isn't it? Isn't that the way we want to end our lives, is for the Lord to be glorified through us? all the way to the end. And so Peter, the next time you face a life and death situation like you did in Jerusalem, you're not gonna fail this time. You're not gonna buckle under because of fear and pressure. You're gonna finish well, buddy. You're gonna finish well. And we see that was true in Peter's life. That was true. As he goes forth with a newfound confidence in the Lord's ability to enable him to do what the Lord had called him to do. We see his preaching at Pentecost in Acts 2, 3, 4, 5. I mean, just boldness in presenting the gospel there to the Jews. We see his boldness in presenting the gospel of the Samaritans, Acts 8. We see his boldness in presenting the gospel of the Gentiles in Acts 10. His confidence is no longer in his ability but in the Lord who empowers him with the power of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. And his love for Christ will be evident. It will be evident in the life that he lives for Christ. So as Christ turns to walk away, he says, follow me. And Peter does. And in verse 20, John says, I followed them. And Peter saw me. He saw me doing it. You know, I'm the one who leaned back in John 13 during the Passover observance in the upper room and asked, who is it, Lord, who will betray you? That's me. This is how John always identifies himself, never by name. You don't find his name anywhere in the Gospel of John. It's always by description. This is me, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And Peter sees John following them. And so he asked, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, you know, what is that to you? What is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. 
Peter and John must have been pretty special friends. I mean, we, we see them together in the upper room the night before the crucifixion. Um, Peter is the one who motions to John, who's sitting next to Christ. Ask him, ask him, who is it that's going to betray him? It's the two of them, along with James, who are, are there on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's the two of them, Peter and John, who run together to the empty tomb on Sunday morning. It's the two of them that are, are together when, when they hear Christ shout from the shore, cast your net on the other side of the boat, on the right side. And it's John who says to Peter, after they hauled in those 153 fish, he says to him, it's the Lord, Peter. It is the Lord. Just as we thought, it is him. And that's why Peter jumps into the water and swims ashore. It's the two of them, Peter and John, who are dragged before the Sanhedrin in Acts 4. I mean, these guys are buddies. They're both fishermen, very successful fishermen. They're both called by Christ at the same time. They're both discipled by Christ together at the same time. So it's only natural for Peter to say, what about him? And I don't see anything in this text that would, would indicate that he's motivated by jealousy. I think it's more curiosity. I mean, you've just told me I'm going to be crucified. What about John? Is he going to go through that too? Is that how he's going to die? And Christ responds, Peter, don't worry about my will for John. Your focus is what? What is your focus? Follow me. Do what I've called you to do. You will die fulfilling the ministry I've given you. But what if my will is for John to remain alive until I return? What is that to you? What is that to you? You know, Jim Elliott, I'm sure most all of you have heard of him. Surely you have. Graduate of Moody Bible Institute who was a missionary to Ecuador and was murdered at the age of 28 by people he had taken the gospel to. They murdered him while he was trying to evangelize them. People you've never heard of. 28. Eric Little, chariots of fire fame from the 1924 Olympics. He became a missionary to China. Do you know how long Eric Little lived? He died at 43. 43. Peter Marshall, great pastor there in D.C., chaplain of the U.S. Senate for years, dies at 46. Jonathan Edwards, 18th century theologian and pastor, many believe to be the, the greatest of theologians, American-born theologians, he died at 55 from a smallpox vaccination. Charles Spurgeon, 19th century prince of preachers, fought gout for many years, was in pain many years. His wife was an invalid for many years, and he dies at 58. George Whitfield, one of the greatest preachers and evangelists ever, dies at 55. While his good buddy John Wesley, the guy he taught how to preach, John Wesley lives for another 30 years and dies at the age of 87. We have no guarantee as to how long we have. So the point is, do what you've been called to do. Don't fiddle around and, and, and count on being faithful somewhere down the road or in retirement. 
you may not live as long as you think. One of the guys I went to college with in Cincinnati was a guy named Rich Mullins. He was in undergraduate school when I was in graduate school, but he was there at the same time, the same four years I was there. He was a musician who wrote one of my favorite songs. We sang it this morning. Rich Mullins wrote, Our Awesome God. Lots of popular, popular artists continued singing the songs that he wrote, but, but Mullins said that, that Awesome God is one of the worst written songs that he ever composed. He said it really is poorly crafted, and yet it's that song everyone remembers. And he said, I'm okay with that, though. I'm really okay with that. Because I don't want to be remembered as a, as a clever songwriter. I want the message the song conveys to be remembered. He wrote Awesome God in a car while they were on their way to a retreat. When Awesome God from Psalm 47 became his signature song, Rich had no problem with that. No problem whatsoever. You know, he gave much of the money that he made from his tours and his record sales and his rights to Awesome God and so forth. He gave it to the Lord's work. He gave the bulk of it to his church, to mission outreaches. And then he's on his way to a, a benefit concert in uh, to, at Wichita State has a car accident he's thrown from his Jeep and is hit by an 18 wheeler and dies at 41 41 John MacArthur has written and edited around 150 books and he's still preaching he'll be 83 next month J. Vernon McGee was told by his doctor that he had cancer and that he was going to die within six months. J. Vernon McGee was only 60 years old at the time. And yet the Lord extended his life just like he did King Hezekiah. And J. Vernon McGee preached from the time he had cancer at 60 until the time he died, 84. 84. Charles Stanley knew that he wanted to go into ministry at 14. He's still preaching, still writing books at 89, 89. That was not the case for Jim Elliott. That was not the case for Rich Mullins. That was not the case for Peter Marshall. The point Christ is making is, Peter, you are going to die by crucifixion. I'm telling you that to encourage you that you will know you will not fail at the end. You will succeed and die well, and you'll be faithful all the way to death. But what if it's my will for John to live until I come back? What has that got to do with you? Then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. And John's real quick to debunk that rumor, lest his death causes some to believe the Lord had made a false prediction. And so Jesus did not say to him, talking to John, he's talking about himself, John. Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. He just said, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? What is that to you, Peter? What is that to you? Christ doesn't say that John will still be alive at his return. That's the kind of thing the father of lies loves to circulate among Christians to mislead and deceive and cause people to question the authenticity of God's word, to question the credibility of his character. He said, what if I will for him to remain Till I return. What does that have to do with you, Peter? Don't misquote John. 
Because he is not misquoting Christ. He's getting it right. The point is this, Peter. Don't you worry about John or James or Thomas or Matthew or any of the others. 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself, yourself and your teaching. I don't know if by the time John records this, somewhat of a rivalry had, had occurred in some churches like had occurred in Corinth where some were saying, well, I follow Paul, and others, well, I follow Apollos, and others, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a follower of Cephas. That's the Aramaic name for Peter. So maybe there were some saying, well, I follow John, the Apostle John. He's my man. People still do that today. I mean, you hear it all the time. You know, I'm a John MacArthur guy. Oh, not me. I'm a John Piper guy. Oh, not me. I'm a Sproul guy. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with having your favorite preachers. I've got my favorite preachers. I love listening to them and have them minister to my soul throughout the week. John just wants you to know, Peter, that you and John had the same calling. You had the same calling. Follow me. But if it's my will that your calling takes different paths, so let it be. Just like Barnabas took John Mark and went one way with the gospel, and Paul takes Silas and goes another way with the gospel. So what? Don't follow any men unless they are following Christ. But we need to have a degree of contentment if we're going to serve with effectiveness. I mean, down through the 50 years I've been in ministry, I've heard pastors Many times, and I've seen it numerous times with, with church members, you know, who, who they get distracted with comparisons. Comparisons. They always think there's greener pastures somewhere else. If only, if only I was in that church. Or if only I could minister in that city. If only I could be with that guy. It would be so much better than the current situation that the Lord has providentially led me to. Maybe you've experienced that yourself. Christ is saying to Peter, you and John are to have the same focus. Follow me. But you need to trust me. Trust me for the path that I've laid out for each of you to travel. Peter, your faithfulness will lead you in a different direction. With different ending." at a different time than the path that John will take in his faithfulness. Both of you will be faithful, but you will not travel the same path. And then John says, this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. There are also many other things Jesus did which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. In other words, if you look back two years ago where we started, John began with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. That's John 1. And then He took us through the, the ministry of John the Baptist. He took us through the calling of the disciples. He took us through numerous miracles that Christ performed right there that he saw. There were many others, but these are ones that he recorded for a reason, for a purpose. He took us through the preparation of the disciples for ministry. 
which includes this text. He took us through the crucifixion. He took us through the resurrection. And then he gives us that marvelous culminating statement at the end of chapter 20. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. Now in this epilogue, he focuses Peter on where his confidence and his convictions are to come from. Where do they come from? The Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth within you. However, there is one more question that needs to be answered. Why? Why didn't John say more about what Christ did? I mean, he's an eyewitness to all that he wrote, but, but what he wrote is by no means exhaustive. He, he wants us to know that these 90 plus sermons that we've just gone through are not fables. They're not fairy tales. No, no. John was there. He saw it. He heard it. He wrote it down. But this is not about John. He won't even put his name in the gospel. That's why he quickly pivots from verse 24 to verse 25 to put the focus back where it belongs. And this may seem like hyperbole to us because we live in a technological world and, and, and uh, we, we've come to, to believe that you know, there's, there's just ways to, to store things on microfilm and all kinds of, of stuff today. We, we've got clouds where we put stuff now. And yet, if, if anyone were to write down everything you did and everything you said by the time you were 30 or 35 years old, someone estimated that, that just writing about you during that period of time would fill about 320 libraries. And who would care? Who would care? Right? I mean, just in the last few years, just in the last few years, I've accumulated 8,000 photos and 3,000 videos of my grandchildren stored in Google Cloud, whatever that is. I have no clue. And while you may have only 20,000 words in your vocabulary, those words stretch into what seems like an infinite number of informational bits. And John is saying, look, if I wrote down everything I heard Christ say, if I were to write down everything I saw Christ do, I mean, he wouldn't live long enough to do it. And if he could do it, it would fill more libraries than the world has. It would fill Tarsus's library and the library at Alexandria and Athens and beyond. I mean, if you took the full extent of who Christ is, if you wrote in detail about all he said, all he did, and all the implications, both spiritual and practical, all the sweeping generational issues, well, you'd never stop writing. You would never stop writing. You say, why, is that? why do you think we have thousands of books and commentaries and devotionals and Bible studies continuing to be written year after year after year after year? 2,000 years after this. The point is, if we're going to be faithful, we only have one focus. One focus. Follow Christ. And our faith, as we follow him, has to trust him. We have to trust him for the path for which he leads us. Understanding that, the, that what we have 
here are facts. These are facts that reveal the truth of who Christ is. So what are the lessons that we're to learn from this, these final verses in the epilogue of the Gospel of John? Well, one is the date of our death is set by the Lord. We all had a date set for our birth, our entrance into this world, and there is a date set for our death, for our departure, as Paul put it, for our exodus. Peter's final moments on earth will be dreadful. Crucifixion is a long, drawn-out process meant to be a, a painful public means of torture as well as a horrific means of death. So Peter is being prepared for the future. Peter, you have a limited amount of time. You've got a limited number of days to accomplish what you've been called to and what you have been recreated for and what you have been commissioned to go. And while the end may be tough, Peter, you're going to finish well. You will. What about you? What about you? Do you know how long you have? I mean, some people do. Some people go to their doctor and they're told you've got this and you've got about X number of months, maybe years left to live. Many don't know. Are you accomplishing what you've been called to do and to be? You know, when the end came for Paul, the historian Eusebius records that he ran to the butcher's block having written, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Christ said, if my will for John is to live till I return, what is that to you, Peter? What is that to you? You stay focused on what you've been called to do. Moses wrote Psalm 90, verse 12. He says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You know, Christ addressed this in a parable about a rich man in Luke 12 who, who believed that he had many years left to, to enjoy, to enjoy how, how richly the Lord had blessed him. And so he's going to tear down his old barns that are, that are, that are not adequate enough. And he's going to erect new barns, bigger barns. And Christ called him a fool. Called him a fool because he had not learned to number his days. He had not learned to, to pursue that which has eternal significance instead of pursuing that which is reserved for fire. And Christ calls him a fool because this day you will die. The psalmist prayed, O oh Lord, make me know my end, the measure of my days how fleeting I am how fleeting I am you know the Lord said through the prophet Isaiah I am God and there's none other like me declaring the end from the beginning listen to me you stubborn of heart knowing the Lord is sovereign over even the number of days I have on earth provides me with great comfort it really does. When I see others living in fear of death, it breaks my heart for them. I have a confidence, I have a confidence in the Lord's sovereignty that enables me to live without that fear. He has declared the end from the beginning. What he has purposed, he will do. 
So all he's saying here is, Peter, follow me and don't worry about what my will is for John. But that leads us to lesson number two. The plan for our life is established by the Lord too. If the Lord is blessing someone differently than he is blessing you, rejoice with them. Rejoice with them. Don't be envious. Don't be jealous. Don't complain to the Lord, you know. Why aren't you answering my prayers the way you answered their prayers? Why are my children not doing as well in school as your children are doing, or as well in sports, or as well in some other activity? Always comparing, always comparing. Comparing situations breeds discontentment. I hear this a lot from really tall people who want to be my size. Because they can't fit onto planes. Um, my knees have never hit the seat in front of me on a plane. Their feet hang off the edge of their bed. I don't have that problem. They have to duck when they walk into certain places. I don't generally have that issue. But they just need to be content with who the Lord's created them to be. Content with what he has called them to do. You'll be crucified, Peter. So rejoice that you won't buckle under pressure like you did in Jerusalem. No, no. Don't you worry about John. He'll be thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil, okay? That's not going to be pleasant either. And he's going to survive it. And now the emperor's going to view him superstitiously, and now he's going to be exiled to that prison island of Patmos, where I'll record this gospel through him. Well, I'll record three epistles through him before he dies. But that's not your concern, Peter. That's not your concern. You faithfully take the gospel to the Jews and to the Samaritans and to the Gentiles. You mentor John Mark that he might record a gospel for the Romans. You write the epistles the Holy Spirit gives you to write. And you know what? The same is true of us. We don't need to be worried about what someone else is doing for God's glory. Do what you've been gifted to do, what you've been called to do. You're not going to have to answer for anybody else, but we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's called the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to have to give an answer, an answer for how we have lived the life that he recreated us to live. How will we have obeyed the commission he has given us? The third truth. The third point is the truth revealed through John is also by the Lord. I mean, this is an eyewitness account, and we know it's true. Now, who is the we here? Uh, different commentaries argue over this, but I mean, is it, is it John and the other disciples? Is it John and the 500 eyewitnesses of the resurrection? Or is it all? I mean, this is, is written fairly late. I mean, the church has already been thriving for, for a few decades now. And so is this all those that the Holy Spirit has revealed this truth to? So as they read this gospel account, we all know it is true. We know it is true. The Holy Spirit has revealed that to us from eyewitnesses. You know, though we have spent nearly two years studying through this gospel, we know it's true. We know it's true. And yet we have not exhausted the marvelous riches of his glory. So next Sunday, we begin our summer series in the book of Colossians. Paul writes in the second chapter, verse 9 of Colossians, In him dwells all the fullness of God in the flesh. 
all the fullness of God in the flesh? How in the world could John record all that that entails? But he has written this much. He has written this much. That you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And knowing him have life in his name. Do you know him? Do you? If you have any questions this morning, you know, you know, you can go to the connect table back here. Or if you're here for the first time, there is a connect table back there where someone is waiting to, to help you. Uh, but as Spurgeon, you know, Spurgeon would never make an appeal at the end. Um, he never offered an invitation. He never sang an invitation hymn. Uh, Spurgeon would get done preaching and he would say, if you're ready to serve the Lord, if you believe yourself to be a Christian or if you want to be a Christian, you come to my study. And we'll go through the gospel together. I'll make you that same offer. You can come to my study. And we'll go through the gospel together. And we'll see where you can serve. We'll identify best we can from scripture. Are you truly a born again Christian? And how is, are you going to now live your life to the glory of his name? As I'm kind of saddened and as we memorialize the end of our study through John, it is Memorial Day weekend. And I just want to personally, and also on behalf of our leaders, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to many of you out there who have served in one branch of the armed forces or another, defending our freedom of religion, defending our constitutional bill of rights that enable us to, to proclaim the truth of Christ and to be what the Lord has called us to be. We thank you. We thank you for what you have done. And we truly mean that. We're so grateful. And for those who will be visiting cemeteries and loved ones, as my grandfather was in World War II in the Army, my father was in the Korean War in the Air Force. Um, as we go to their graves and sometimes put a flag or sometimes put flowers, or sometimes just sit on a bench and pray and give thanks. Thanks for the faithfulness of those men and women who enable us to be able to do what Christ has called us to do as we follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit within us according to the truth of his word. Stand with me as we pray. Lord, we thank you for the joy that your word brings, for the comfort, for the counsel, for the wisdom, for the conviction, and yes, Lord, even for the correction. Lord, we want to be willing to sacrifice for you in life and in death if need be. We want to follow you. Not worrying about what somebody else has been called to do, but what you have called for us to do, individually and collectively as a church body. Lord, we want to be used by you, even in all of our frailty. We trust not on our own abilities, but on the ability you give us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Because we often feel like Peter. We feel very disappointed in ourselves. 
especially when we realize that we have not loved you to the degree that you loved us. But Lord, you know our hearts. You know them. You know all things. You know we love you. And Lord, we do seek to feed your lambs and to tend to your sheep. Lord, we desire to follow Christ. And in so doing, may you find us useful to your glory. Thank you for this wonderful gospel that has meant so much to us. May it be the testimony of John that John has written. May it enlighten many as it has enlightened us. And may it always be to the glory of your holy name. For it's in Christ that we ask it. Amen.